the name of the values that keep you alive do not let your vision of man be distorted by the ugly, the cowardly, the mindless, and those who have never achieved his title. Do not lose your knowledge that man's proper estate is an upright posture, an intransigent mind, and a step that travels on limited roads. Do not let your fire go out sparked by replacing the spark and hope the swamps of the approximate are not quite the not yet and not at all. The world you desired can be won. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. Hey guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I want to thank you all for being here. I'm here with uh, Isaac Martinez. Thanks for being here so much, Isaac. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. So, Isaac has a long background in Forex markets, which is something we haven't talked about too much. We've touched on it a little bit, um, but I think it's really important to talk a little bit about Forex because crypto is in sort of a weird uh, a weird spot in between Forex, equities, other financial markets. So it's helpful to understand all parts of the financial system when you're trying to figure out where cryptos fit in. Um, so what initially drew you to Forex markets, Isaac? Actually, I don't know if it was I got drawn to it. It was by, uh, you know, happenstances. Uh, my father was actually an early pioneer in the FX space. Uh, and my father at the time was trading Forex. And I had no clue what it was. But I remember going into our garage growing up. And before computers had charts like they are today, he was running every individual screen doing screen captures <laughs> and taping it against our garage from wall to wall and that's how he was looking at trends oh, and wow. markets and time frames so it wasn't until i got a little older and i started uh just changing between jobs at high school uh, my dad's like hey come into the office i'll give you some work uh, and that kind of started my journey as uh employee number three at the time of market traders institute uh, and before I knew it, you know, here we are, uh, 18, 19 years later, I'm uh, actively involved in the uh, FX market and financial trading for that long. Okay, so yeah, you were essentially born into it. That, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, initially, I feel like getting into Forex can be kind of hard unless you have someone who's helping you, uh, teaching you the ropes. Cause it took me forever to figure it out. I mean, once once I did, it all makes sense, but it looks like complete jargon um, beforehand. So yeah, it's a lot easier today than it was, you know, 18, 19 years ago. And really kind of, that's how I felt initially as getting into the crypto space is probably how people were feeling like getting into the Forex space. Yeah, no, exactly. So we'll get into crypto. I just wanted to start a little bit with background on Forex and then we'll do a little background on what you've done within Forex and then go into what you're doing with crypto now I think so how would you say that Forex really differs from equities markets as far as how you go about trading uh, analyzing or even starting a company around it I mean they're really an apples and oranges uh, type of asset class that you're trading well trading fundamentally is the same, right? You still have market orders, entry stops, entry limits, and the same basic principles. The underlying asset class couldn't kind of be different. And some of the main differences uh, is how the basic person trades. Um, the average trader 
or self-directed or retail trader in stocks isn't actively using leverage. They buy one certificate of, of stock or Apple. On the Forex side, almost everything you do is leverage. So as a basic trader, you're getting in. In the U.S., for example, regulations allow 50 to 1 leverage. So every dollar controls $50 uh, in buying power. If you're trading internationally, you have 200 or even 400 to 1 leverage. Um, one of the other unique things about, there's several unique things, but another unique thing about Forex, the stocks, is the convenience and time. So the stock market opens up at 9.30, uh, closes uh, later in the afternoon, the, and, and runs its seven hours or so of uh, opening. The Forex market runs 24 hours a day, five and a half days a week. So convenience-wise, it's a lot easier for the average person who's running a day job to get access to trading currencies because they can kind of trade around their time or their schedule, whether that's early in the morning for a lot of people that get up the middle of the lunchtime or even in the evening when they come home, it becomes kind of their side hobby or their side business as they're getting into. Uh, there are obviously some other differentiators between the two, and one of them is just pure size. I mean, the Forex trades uh, three to five trillion dollars a day, so it's a, a monster market uh, place with retail volume making up about 20% of that total volume uh, at this point. So uh, very similar fundamentally as far as trading, but you know, couldn't be different as far as the underlying asset class that you trade. So, I mean, it is such a massive market. And one thing I found so strange was that, you know, up until I guess it was almost the end of high school, I'd never heard of it. So why do you think Americans specifically are so ignorant of Forex markets and tend to shy away from them? Because I know in, in London and in the EU, it tends to be much more popular. Yeah, Forex is more widely known, as you kind of alluded to, internationally than it is in the U.S. And part of that goes just to the basic culture of the economies. Uh, uh, here in the States, to travel, we go from Florida to Georgia to North Carolina to Texas to California, Chicago. And, and we're not we have the U.S. dollar and a lot of people in the States don't even travel abroad. So they never run into any exchange uh, rates over throughout Europe, especially before the uh, Euro came into play. I mean, if you were just crossing the border, you're instantly having to exchange your uh, currency. So generations and generations, people have been very aware of how much their currency value is worth another. Now that's just crossing the border from a tourist perspective. Now take that up another layer when you're actually a business owner and you're crossing business to business and now you're having to import your goods from other countries. You're having to uh, uh, sell to other countries. You're very, very aware of what the exchange rates are and kind of it's just ingrained into you and ingrained into the culture. And then you take it all the way over to another example of that is over in like Japan, who's had virtually 0% interest rates and the Japanese have uh, as part of their culture, multiple uh, accounts of different uh, currencies. So you have, they have Japanese accounts, they have base accounts, they have US dollar accounts, they have Euro accounts, and they are moving their uh, money from account to account, playing both the exchange rate and also the interest differential rate. Uh, so again, it's built into the culture. Yeah, so I guess, 
when you're so aware of, you know, how, how often this is happening, I think so many people go throughout their lives without even thinking about, you know, how exchange rates are actually determined. Certainly, that was not something I thought about. So what would you say, you know, for people who really don't understand this stuff, how, how is the price of a currency really decided? So the number one and the biggest driving factor of currencies that most people don't know is interest rate differentials. So the yeah. difference of the interest rate between the U.S. economy and the Australian uh, economy. The interest rates a government has uh, at the time is kind of a, an indication of the strength of their economy. And those are the big drivers uh, that are, are kind of the, the true underlying movers of the big uh, you know, fundamental shifts and swings in the marketplace. Behind, outside of interest rate differentials, most traders like myself are very technical driven and technically minded. So we become technical traders. Uh, and then while we're looking things off of trends and, and other patterns with inside of the market. Yeah, and so that's a great segue into more technical trading strategies. So I'm sure most people who have tried to get into trading have seen, you know, charting up in certain places. Um, but I think most people really don't understand how to read the charts. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, what charting is and how it came to be and how you guys have tried to make it easier? Yeah, so a lot of people enter the market in currency trading and they start generally by trading fundamental announcements. And that's been an evolution within side of the marketplace and now you you trade fundamental announcements and spreads go really wide to discourage people from trading. But a lot of people get in and they get their butt kicked trading fundamental announcements because it's a very difficult time to trade the markets right right after, for example, non-farm non payrolls, the markets may yeah. hundreds of pips. And in that moment, it's a great volatility and lots of volatility, but there's so much slippage around it that it's really not a great profitable strategy and a lot of traders learn that quickly yeah after you get outside of um, fundamental announcements the next kind of evolution for traders is they then generally will try to get into indicators and they're looking for that easy button where they're trying to say if I can add this magical leading indicator and when the red line crosses the green line I buy or sell and that's all I have to do <laughs> uh, and they put some basic rules to around it it starts to work briefly and then the market conditions change and then they get beat up uh, around there and I see that happen a lot and really what after the average trader goes on this journey of how to build their trading style most traders that trade forks end up and land kind of as a technical trader uh, and, and what I mean by a technical trader they're using technical analysis to make their trading decisions so for example someone like me I'm someone who looks at the market and I read candlestick formations I'm uh, uh, a, all about trend lines and you know some basic rules. The trend is your friend until it uh, bends. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, you know heavily heavily rely on support and resistance. The kind of the core principles built around my uh, trading is is using Fibonacci's, which uh, a lot of people misunderstand and and don't know how to use. So what I'm looking for as a trader is multiple levels of convergences in the marketplace that I have a trend line break at a candlestick formation at a Fibonacci uh, bounce. And it's showing me at that point, what I mean is I have a higher probability for success in that particular trade. And so I, as kind of we always say, the K 
candlesticks are the sign language of the market, right? They, they, they don't scream at you, but if you can look at them, that you can decipher them and they can tell you what they're trying to say. So what we do and how we leverage our charts, knowing that we're uh, technical traders and most traders are, be, are ultimately become technical analysts, is at Smart Trader, we have introduced a whole line of smart tools. And so we make it a whole lot easier for traders to identify trend lines. So you can simply click at the high or the low and trend lines will be automatically drawn for you with, with complete accuracy. You can, uh, again, place a higher low and we'll automatically draw Fibonacci levels for you and show you the active Fibonacci's pivot, support and resistance, uh, candlestick formation. So it's our kind of uh, mission to bring the advantage back to the trader and to help traders make better, faster, smarter trading decisions. And we're leveraging uh, the latest and greatest technology to help traders do that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people try to get started in Forex and they get stuck in something like binary options. They lose a bunch of money and then they never come back. Yeah, um, I mean, there's so many life lessons that unfortunately it's like you don't, so many traders don't know where the landmines are and yeah. only have to go through some real life experiences where, like you said, binary options, the latest and greatest, and 97% <laughs> of everyone that gets involved in yeah, binary options. Essentially just gambling with probably less luck than uh, Vegas, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when people are trading in different time frames, I think that's something that kind of separates this from equities markets a little bit is that people are trading in vast vastly different time frames and they're charting very specifically to those time frames typically. So could you talk a little bit maybe about the different kinds of traders and how some people are trading within time frames a little differently? Yeah, we kind of bucket the trader profile to several different types and they all use a variety of different time frames. So you have your investor and one of the big differences People that trade stocks, a lot of them are investors, not necessarily traders or day traders. And a large part is just by the day trading rules that the stock market has. Uh, and most investors, they're looking at daily charts. They're looking at weekly charts, the bigger movements. Then you have kind of your swing traders. Your swing traders go a little bit uh, lower in a time frame. So they're going to be in the four to eight hour time frames. So they're looking at... Uh, the different swings of the marketplace. They're gonna be in for a, a longer periods of time. So they're not in for months, they may be in for a, a, you know days or weeks. Then you kind of get down into your day traders and your day traders are really looking at the market probably from the most holistic perspective where they're looking at day uh, charts to determine market direction. Then they're jumping down to a four hour to see the kind of interday uh, market. They, and, and set up potentials. Then they're down on an hour using technical analysis, finding uh, current trading opportunities. So when trend line breaks are happening at, when the market is whether overbought or oversold uh, on Stochastic or MACD or whatever other indicators and, and different levels of technical uh, input they're using to make their decision. And then from an hour, most traders will jump down to about a 30 minute chart or a 15 minute chart for their entry. So they're trying to turn around and find the optimal entry. How do they get ahead of waiting for, instead of a one hour candlestick to close, they're on a 15 minute or 30 minute chart, you can get in quicker. You can see the opportunity uh, and, the, and the buyer sell signals faster on those smaller time frames. 
the kind of the last two groups of traders as I liken them to are scalpers and algorithm traders. Uh, so the scalper, those guys are living from the 30 minute to uh, more likely in the uh, 10, 5, and 1 minute time frames. And they're looking for just Adrenaline a few Adrenaline junkies. <laughs> yeah. They're just trying to get in and out, get in and out, in and out. And they're trading all day uh, uh, relentlessly. And then you have the algorithm guys. The algorithm guys are looking for... Uh, you know, alpha. They're looking for the edge on the market, and they're running their algorithms to, and they're in for milliseconds of time, and, and yeah. that's some super sophisticated stuff. So, what's your opinion on things like algorithms? Have you really found any success? I mean, I played with a bunch of them, never quite made it work. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, do you think any of the the sort of offshoots of forex have really worked well for people things like copy trading and algorithms and stuff like that yeah there's definitely algorithms out there uh that are really really good uh we have a few of them that absolutely have proven to have an edge on the market but to it's, it unless you can dumb luck into it they're really hard to find it takes a, an incredible amount of brain power to uh get that edge for example we have one uh, it's a hundred percent. I have myself about $700,000 on it huh. and for it on average probably has brought about 30% a year on real money. Uh, and it has a proven edge. It has trades 24 hours a day, always has positions. Uh, and it has, it's a, a great tool. We have probably two or three other ones that have proven edges as well. And then Oftentimes, the average person, you find great systems, and they work great for market A. So they, they build a system for market A, and it has an edge of market A, but when market B turns and they're deploying system of market A, that's when their systems really start to not become profitable. And there's a variety of things that can happen for that, you know, drive uh, the market to change. For example, Recently, in the forex side, volatility just started picking up. So the average daily trading ranges went from, you know, depending on your instrument, 75 to 125 pips to 150 to 225 pips. And if you are deploying an algorithm that was great for low volatility times and low trading ranges, when the market conditions changed, your algorithm kind of blew up on you. So being able to know what algorithm to run, it's kind of like being a... Uh, and to successfully trade different systems and algorithms, it's kind of like being a great coach of a basketball team. You have your star players, and you got to know when to play them, uh, and you got to know when to pull a player out and when to put a player in, and and that's what a trader needs to do. Know, knows when to deploy an algorithm or a system on a specific market conditions and be able to recognize when that market condition is changing. You have to turn around and run another system. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what makes Forex pretty interesting is, you know, there's so many strategies, so many avenues you can go down to, you know, get the end result. So people have a lot of creativity in how they go about whatever they're trying to do. Uh, I think some of that is a little lost in equities. It seems like a lot of people are just following the same strategies for the most part. Um, so I was going to ask, you know, how Market Traders Institute and Smart Trader address some of these things, how they sort of, the different projects differed and what you learned from each to roll into the next, I guess. Yeah, so we always say for a trader to be successful, 
you really need four things. You need a trading account, you need an education and a strategy, premium charting and tools, and mentorship. And, and as you alluded to at the start of uh, the interview, you were saying as you got into Forks, you didn't really know where to go and what to yeah. use and where to look at. And that's really where the mentorship comes in. The part we play in that path is on Market Traders Institute side, we are the education and teach you the strategy and then probably what's more valuable after you understand technical analysis and the strategy uh, is the mentorship is interacting with the years and years and years of senior traders that we have as experience to help guide you through the market to help you so you're not stepping on uh, and help you avoid as many landmines as possible yeah. and you know where are the opportunities helping you identify where the opportunities help you to identify the pitfalls to stay away the, all the temptations of hey i'm going to go you know get this easy button and on non-farm i'm just going to straddle the market and no matter what happens i'm going to make it uh and get paid well it doesn't kind of work like that no, <laughs> here's this this simple algorithm over here that somebody's telling me so our mentorship really comes in in the long-term success of traders where smart trader comes into play is on the uh, premium tools and the advanced charting tools. So with Smart Trader, what we're doing is our almost our entire development budget goes towards advancing the platform for the trader, and it's very different than where the brokerage firms go. So most of most brokerage firms, their entire development budget is spent on order execution because that's where they make their money and that's where they get judged for success, right? Yeah. How fast did a trade uh, was made? What's their latency? And we're kind of different. We focus it ex almost exclusively on the trader and giving the trader the tools to get the edge. And then we leverage the brokerage firm's APIs so you can go pick what brokerage firm you want to go trade with and you can just integrate your brokerage firm to our platform. Yeah. So we look at it completely different, and that's why we find that traders using our platform are more profitable than traders that are using the platforms directly because they have more advanced tools in the edge of the market. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I used MT4 for a while, and <laughs> that's definitely not intuitive for most people, but more than honestly most. Uh, and then the crypto companies in specifically have have really bad tools and I think that's it's actually purposefully so because they're making most of their money on margin calls and they're uh, they're really not in it for the consumer for the most part at least most of them that we've looked at so you know I think you've talked a little bit about starting to integrate crypto how are you how are you going to be doing that so right now on the smart trader platform we have about 120 uh, different coins on the platform uh this weekend we're rolling out all we're adding in coinbase's uh instrument offering so we'll be adding the coinbase feed and then as the more popular firms continue to pop up not the popular firms but as firms become more credible yeah. uh we'll continue and as coins become more legitimized uh we'll make sure that we put put the instruments on the platform that will have longevity that uh, you know, are liquid enough for people to trade in the brokerage firms are credible and regulated. So we're not kind of uh, engaging or exposing our customer base to any potentially bad actors out there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's super important because there are plenty. 
Um, so when when did you really first hear about crypto, and when did you decide to start investing more of your time and resources into it? So I probably got actively. I mean, I heard of cryptos maybe five years ago, as they was kind of first coming onto the scene, and uh, it was just something you hear in passing and and not really focused or put any much brain power towards it. And then it wasn't about until about two or three years ago where it started kind of kicking up more steam and you heard a little bit more about it and the buzz about it. Uh, and I wish at that point I didn't have the hard-headed mentality uh, like even so many people today have that it's like, ah, oh, this, this is a fad. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pump and dump because if I would have invested three years ago what I ended up investing – I would be a very, 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 very rich man today <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and have one of those Bitcoin billionaire success stories. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it took me, it wasn't until about uh, last year that I actually really sat down in the beginning of, of last year and uh, understood and got away from kind of the blanket thought of, of an ingrained and an incumbent person in the in the markets that says, oh, that's just this thing over there. And I really started to educate myself about the legitimacy of it and uh, really getting into what the blockchain technology was doing. And, and so it wasn't unfortunate to last year that I actively started to uh, really invest into it, both as an investor in the underlying instruments like Litecoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and then ultimately ended up moving into several different facets of the of the market and the crypto side. So buying uh, the underlying instrument, buying uh, uh, miners and getting involved into the miner side of the business, and then ultimately with Smart Trader integrating and creating price feeds and tools to support the environment and the ecosystem around crypto trading. So how? How do you think crypto might affect Forex markets? Because I know when I first started trading crypto, I traded some of it through some of my Forex brokers. They had like BTC pairs and, you know, it seemed like for a while they tried to foray into crypto by adding some of those features because it seemed sort of intuitively that those brokers would be the first line because they were, you know, within the currency space. Um, then gradually it sort of became clear that crypto was moving away from Forex. Um, do you think they're going to be sort of isolated for the, you know, in, in the future, or do you think they'll come together? Uh, I think ultimately they'll come together in being an incumbent firm out there like an FXCM or Forex.com or Arbitrade. Uh, I mean, the list goes on of the, the bigger uh, shop of, of FX firms. The, the biggest thing that has prevented them from really stepping into the space because I, I know all, most of their CEOs personally, it's not the lack of desire or want, is because they are, have these existing business models, regulation or regulation uncertainty prevents them from quickly getting into the space and, and because they can't take the, to get the exposure, the regulatory exposure. So it's leaving this vacuum uh, for these little startup firms to pop up that are unfortunately not regulated, that many of them blow up uh, and some of them are, uh, have really become good firms out there. And so uh, right now they're, it's really fragmented. Yeah. <laughs> and I think ultimately 
the a lot of the forex firms become kind of the catalyst of access to to um, to the crypto space because they, they already have the platforms, they already have the technology, they already have the same-minded traders. I think FX firms are going to ultimately uh, change a little bit of the landscape as the as it plays itself out because a lot of the forex firms, their core is based off of leverage. So coming in, I think that a lot of them will do CFD contracts for differences and they'll leverage up cryptos eventually so you can uh, have more buying power around it as volatility uh, slows down or drops potentially on, on the crypto space. So I think they'll they'll come together and Forex firms will become a, a wide distributor of access uh, to the crypto markets. But I think that it's the regulation and, and or the uncertainty around regulation that has all prevented them from really getting into the space. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know the regulation is a nightmare because we have we built an exchange. We've got it sitting there, but, you know, just sitting there. We can't put it up. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I understand that it's it's difficult for a lot of these companies to get into it right now, especially because, you know, you just really don't know how badly they'll come after you should you cross them. Um, I was going to ask what what leverage you think is really the maximum you think people should be trading on because you have a lot of sites that are offering you know like you said 50 to 1 um what what do you trade at what do you think people should stay within the bounds of on the forex side or on the uh, uh forex side sorry yeah so about five years ago or actually probably longer than that now about eight years ago uh leverage in the space was uh, 200 to 1 in the U.S. and 400 to 1 I remember in, that. internationally. Yep, I, I did a couple of those trades. <laughs> didn't last long. And since then, the regulations have changed here in the States that have changed it to uh, 50 to 1 in overseas. The kind of the, the norm is about uh, 100 to 1, 200 to 1. The Swiss franc debacle kind of changed that around. Uh, so some are higher, some are lower. But I'm a personal, you know, my belief is just because you have the buying power doesn't mean you should use all the buying power. Yeah. And, and it's really one of the the number one reasons currency traders or people who are trying to become currency traders aren't successful is because they over leverage themselves. They're looking for that home run every single trade. They're trying to take a $5,000 account to $25,000 in a single trade and, and they use leverage to their own detriment uh, and use it, uh, you know, and, and they're irresponsible with it. Me personally, I'm more of a, a five to one type of, uh, you know, I'd say that's about the leverage that I'll use three to one, five to one, sometimes a little bit more than that. But I mean, I have, there's plenty of money at, at, at these reduced uh, levels than it is to need to ratchet it all the way up. And so do you have sort of a similar thinking with crypto or do you change the calculus significantly because of certain volatility? So crypto is a bit different because most of the ways you buy into crypto isn't on a leverage basis. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think you have to go into cryptos with a little different mindset of how, how much of your portfolio it is and, and what your risk tolerance is because the swings are quite mm -hmm. wild. I mean, it, what two weeks ago we were at ninety eight hundred of Bitcoin, and today we're close to what eighty five or so, wherever yeah. it, it is right now. So, as as a trader uh, on the crypto space, 
I think you need to either be in and out very quickly or have some uh, long-term positions or views and enable you to ride out some of these storms. I would say if, if you don't have the kind of stomach for 20% swings, the <laughs> crypto space isn't for you. Yeah, and I would say be really careful in the crypto space who you're margin trading with because I've margin, margin traded with several brokers and they have all the call logs in their back end and a lot of times they'll just purposefully um, hit some of those call levels in the middle of the night um, just to wipe out accounts, especially the sketchy ones. Yeah, uh, so I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend that really on the crypto side, yeah. <laughs> you know, any leverage at all. It's, I mean, it's... It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary at the current level of volatilities. I, I think as the crypto space goes through its evolution like the Forex market did, I mean, it, there's going to be some more pain in, this, in the space of these altcoins, uh, from my personal belief, that, that go worthless. Then you're going to have lots of you're going to have lots of volatility followed by regulation, then followed by kind of non-volatile and, and and where cryptos kind of level themselves out and then financial firms will come in there and leverage it back up. So then you can trade it, leverage, make the same type of money you can make today, but your market movement is, is less. Yeah. So this is something I've been just sort of curious about. Since you have more of a background in the financial sector, do you think cryptos are going to move more towards the traditional financial sectors or more towards the tech sectors? What do you mean by that? So I guess, do you think... Google is going to start, um, you know, buying out crypto companies and adding cryptocurrencies to their ecosystem, or is Goldman going to be the one to go and do it, or uh, FXCM? Because it seems like it exists sort of at the intersection of these two, you know, massive industries that seem to be competing in some way at this point. I think the tech firms are going to, and they're already doing it, uh, from IBM to uh to Deloitte and anything in between are gonna go at it from a technology perspective and they're going after blockchain and how to apply that to everything, right? Blockchain is mm -hmm. being used for to track diamonds, it's using to track inventory. It, the, the banks are trying to say, how do we get rid of SWIFT using blockchains uh, and, and instead of these daily settlements that they do right now. And, and so blockchain I think is gonna overhaul everything and be the killer of so many uh, things that happen all the way to being able to, I think just a few months ago, you just had the first real estate transaction that happened through uh, a blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you're gonna get rid of title companies and, and blockchain will continue to revolutionize the world in ways I don't think we've ever even have our mind wrapped around it over the next 10, 15 years. I think the brokerage firms and the financial side are going to go after the asset class, uh, yeah. like Goldman Sachs, like the FXCMs, the Forex.coms, the, the bigger institutional money that, that will come into the space. Uh, when these bigger companies like Goldman step into it, Goldman doesn't go chase a fad. They go have go yeah. and turn around <laughs> and say, this instrument is here to stay. Uh, we're going to go put hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to go uh, spin up a shop and an opportunity to go make tens of billions of dollars because there's no point for Goldman to getting into the crypto space for 10, 20, 30 million dollars. It doesn't move their needle. Yeah. And, you know, they're going after yeah. opportunities that are billions of dollars. And so clearly they, they see the crypto space uh, as billions of dollars worth of opportunity. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the more money that pours in, you know, the higher prices will go at the end of the day because there's not that many places for it to go, I think. So ultimately, I think it's going to be good for the industry and people are, I think people are seeing the lull right now because everyone is positioning and uh, soon enough things are going to start taking off. Um, you talked a little bit about how you you own miners, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so how how did you decide to get into that? Why did you decide to do that instead of just holding the asset class itself? You know, you know the, the real, I guess the, like probably most people that get into different businesses, I saw uh, the money-making opportunity. You know, money yeah. is probably what drove me into it. How I got into the, the mining side of the business is my brother actually owned, uh, I believe, eight, uh s9s yeah and uh i was doing the math of of his the profitability and return on asset that he was getting on on the uh eight s9s and so i guess the entrepreneur me took the number crunched it into a spreadsheet and uh said at scale there's some great money to be made here so after turning around and uh looking at the business side of it um I went out and bought 550-ish uh, miners and then started the, not, I actually probably did it, uh, I, I understood the viability of the business. I didn't know how I was going to and where I was going to set them up, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I knew if I went and spent the money to go buy the, the mining equipment that I would work the logistics out because I'm relatively technically savvy and uh, logistics are the easier side of what I do. So uh, between purchasing and the equipment arriving, I was able to work out all the logistics of how to support and, and ultimately deploy miners and uh, start the, the process of getting the return on investment. And uh, so has it been pretty good so far? Because, I mean, the returns really are pretty spectacular when you're looking at it from a traditional financial background and you see the numbers that I mean have they lived up to expectation for the most part yeah there's been a little more complications than I uh, you know nothing's ever as easy as you think yeah. it is right? oh yeah no. it, it's always twice takes twice as it's twice as hard and takes twice as much money and uh, twice the problems you ever think you're gonna ever possibly get into it I think the things that have been uh, kind of the most disappointing is in the equipment itself that's that's just the notorious like bitmain where i got my equipment from uh you know you you buy 500 plus machines so many of them are dead on arrival so many of them have dropped off over time so there's it's been a, a whole lot more maintenance intensive yeah. uh to servicing all the equipment as it as you put it online uh than i i thought it was going to be initially so i, I wish there was uh, the equipment was more reliable than it, than what it is out there. Uh, difficulty has risen exponentially, but uh, you know it's just part of the game of, of what you get into on the mining side. And I think the one thing, uh, the the biggest advice I'd give other people trying to get into the mining space at any sort of scale is due diligence, due diligence, due diligence, because there are so many predators and bad actors mm -hmm. in the mining space that are looking to yeah. take advantage of people that don't know any better. Uh, and fortunately, I was able to avoid uh, a lot of those people that will 
uh, try to scam you on the buying and acquisition of machines to trying to get you to ship your machines to them to to uh, mine and only to have them take over your machines. I mean, I, the horror stories that I have, have heard, it's been horrendous. And then even the legitimate companies will prey on the ignorance of people and try to get people to to lock themselves up with power rates that will never allow them to get the return on, yeah. on value. And they're doing it purely for the reason that they put somebody into a two-year contract at paying $150, $200 a month in power per machine. And then all they're going to do is wait for you to default, and they're going to take your machines away from you. Uh, oh, yeah. And they're going to start mining themselves for at, at cheaper rates. So it, it's been an interesting world to get into. It's, you know, slightly more challenging than I anticipated. Uh, kind of there's a lot of like i said bad actors trying to take advantage of you but if you can navigate through that uh it's a great business to be in yeah no that's exactly that's you know why we're we're trying to put out miners of our own trying to simplify it because it really is especially when you get to the mining pools and you know there is a lot of setup required and it's i think it's too bad because i think mining really is the easiest way for people to get into crypto if it's done right you know it's essentially printing money it's such a cool idea that you can plug a box into your wall and print money but i think no one has really done it well enough to make it accessible to people especially i think interestingly you know the altcoins which you know I, I agree most of them will not be here for long but a lot of them you know people are hearing this and that and it, it's like penny stocks to a point but instead of having people you know putting in money and buying them on these exchanges and them sitting there until they get stolen or who knows what because my mom has you know 10 brokerage accounts because each one has different random coins and <laughs> no two has the right ones that you want um but the great thing about mining for altcoins is you know you can essentially mine all of them you can you know set your machine to uh just mine you a large basket of a bunch of the ones you want and let them sit there and see if any of them pay off in the long run yeah, I mean, there's a variety of different ways, and I kind of looked at mining very similar to how you looked at it. I can go put a million dollars in buying the underlying asset, or I can go put a million dollars into an asset yep. uh, that is going to generate the the coin for me, and so and then still have the equipment uh, value, and that's ultimately what I decided to do. So, are there any big changes you think the crypto market will have? I guess. I guess on Forex, finance, you know, the economy in general in the next, you know, five to 10 years, what do, what do you think will play out going forward? So I, I think long term, the crypto markets are going to take probably take about five years to shake themselves out where you'll have a handful of coins that will be the standard uh, and will be very difficult for all these anyone new alt to bubble up as, as the coins become the incumbent. I think uh, the coins have the ability over the next five years to become more like like a dollar uh, and the stability of their exchange rates and really for the coins to become what everyone wants them to be or a lot of uh, the coins are trying to advertise themselves to become. Uh, what In order for them to become transactional and become part of the economy and, and let them become used for commerce, they need to stabilize, right? You can't... You, you don't have the U.S. dollar going through 20% swings in a week 
because if you were to go buy, you know, a transfer a hundred thousand dollars and it could be worth eighty thousand or one hundred and twenty, nobody wants that risk. So we need to ultimately get to a place, and I think it will take about five years, seven years for it to do so, to have the the coins stable stable out, become regulated, uh, set kind of the standard around them, and then they can start to be used for their intended purposes, which is now for commerce, uh, yeah. and start to become. Uh, you know, tradable as far as for buying actual, uh, you know, materials and goods. And I, I, I think along that way, there's going to be, a, you know, plenty of people that are looking at it, not from a commerce perspective, but like Bitcoin, who gets often compared to gold and is like the gold standard. People mm -hmm. are going to buy and hold and sit on them as an investment, you know, with long term, uh, you know, views of where they go. So there'll be a uh, mix and match. I think over the next five years, I think more than anything, the cryptos are going to respond and like Bitcoin are going to respond to the markets and not necessarily influence the market. So the way I kind of look at it, if the stock market rallies, that's great for cryptos. If the stock market has a horrendous crash, it will initially be bad uh, for cryptos, why people want to go more liquid. But it also then cryptos becomes a, a more legitimate vehicle where to put money to yeah. you know, have transactions. So I think uh, things like Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum are in great places from a long term perspective. Uh, it's just going to take some time for everything to shake itself out. Do you do you see international business moving more towards crypto as you know just transaction fees get lower and it becomes cheaper than you know exchanging currencies or dealing with all the intermediaries? I think it depends. Uh, like like the biggest step for that to happen is the volatility around cryptos and the market movement has to slow down a little bit uh, because the risks become too high. For companies to use it for commerce, mm -hmm. uh, I think over time it has a, a huge potential for these uh, instruments to, uh, you know, be used to transfer around for anything. I mean, it's just really easy. There's no exchange rate per se to it when you're sending money from this place to that place. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it can be. I think you know they recently had. I think it was a Litecoin transaction. Someone sent something like a hundred million for like ten dollars. <laughs> you know, it's like ridiculous how uh, how cheap the transactions are compared Not to that, a lot of speed. Yeah, right? yeah. So I mean, it was very cheap, and it happened in seconds. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, I think going forward, that's that's going to be really interesting. And so, you know, I don't know if there's anything else you really wanted to touch on. I think that's all I have here. But um, are there any other topics you, you wanted to touch on quickly? No, I think that's, uh, and I think you touched on everything uh, that I would have touched on. It was a great conversation. I guess I would say for anybody that wants to uh, get more access to the marketplace and look at both cryptos, forex, and stocks from a singular platform. Go to smarttrader.com. It's a free platform to use. Uh, you don't need to subscribe or pay anything to engage with the platform and to look at the various markets, news, research. Uh, and you know, thank you for having me on. Yeah, anytime. And yeah, I mean, I, I love the platform. It's super, the UI and UX is super beautiful, which is something Forex companies or Forex based companies never do well. Uh, so I really appreciate the time you've put into making it look neat and nice for everyone. Um, 
and I, I've just started using it and I really like it. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I know we've had, we're going to be having a bunch of podcasts posted these next couple weeks, so we're excited. And I want to thank you for coming on, Isaac, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Take care. Yeah.